is the Business Breakfast with Oanda on Jazz FM. Online trading, currency data, money transfers. Jeff Halley joins us live from Singapore. Afternoon, Jeff. Just before we hit the markets and the FOMC and the Fed and all that stuff, um, just give us an update on lockdown so far, because uh, it's a rapidly changing picture every day all the way around the world, isn't it? Australia's had a second spike and so on. How's your part of the world doing? Yeah, well, the circuit breaker uh, measures were eased quite some time ago. In Singapore, most of the outbreak has been limit- uh, has been confined to the to the overseas workers' dormitories, and that's where the headline cases have all come. Community transmission's quite low, and so uh, life does have a certain normality to it, although the government uh, is actively encouraging, so to speak, uh, companies to keep their employees from uh, uh, working at home. So the CBD remains a bit of a, a, a ghost town, but uh, certainly uh, there's a lot less limits on uh, socialising and, and other things. So in that respect, uh, Singapore has been quite fortunate. If I can just talk domestically for us just for a moment, but it does have a, an implication for you. This new trade deal that's being trailed between the UK and Japan, what is the sort of view of the UK economy from where you are right now? Um, I'm, sus- I'm suspecting that Japan, with all its problems, will welcome this if it were to happen. Of course, trade deals are extremely complicated and take a long time to get the detail done, don't they? But what's, what's your feeling? about uh, the UK as a market? Oh, I think it's a, a very important market. I do believe the UK, when it goes out to negotiate these uh, trade agreements, is doing so probably as a junior partner with most of them, simply because it's now no longer part of the European Union bloc. I think the key for the UK is how, uh, how hard a deal do they want to run uh, with these partners. For example, the United States, I think, will be the key one. How much are they prepared to give up there? I mean, certainly when I look at the EU and the UK uh, negotiations, there seems to be intransigence on both sides. Uh, but it looks like the EU is actually rapidly moving on with the rest of its life post uh, the UK. But I, I still uh, maintain uh, hopes that uh, they'll get something over the line there. And, and now that it's been done, I do believe this is a chance for uh, a very entrepreneurial uh, Britain to actually find its mojo and for those companies to flourish without the you know the EU rules over the top mm-hmm. of them. So I don't think I mean there's good and bad sides to this whole thing, but the deal's done, and I think it's now time that you know things move on. And I, I don't think it's necessarily as negative as it's been portrayed uh, post Brexit in the UK. Okay, um, let's move on to the Fed then. We should because that's the sort of major talking point of the week. What did you take from what they said yesterday? Yeah, it was operations normal. Uh, they didn't upset the uh, they upset the boat at all. They basically said that they would re- provide as much liquidity as required to keep uh, interest rates capped and to make sure that credit kept flowing. And if things deteriorated, that they would bring more liquidity and more easing to the table uh, and more lending in order to make sure that uh, the out, uh, fallout from COVID-19 slowdowns is mollified. They also uh, quite positively uh, said that they would give plenty of dollars to overseas central banks to make sure that there aren't dollar shortages uh, in, in other parts of the world, which is quite important for countries which have large US debts. I was just going to ask you about that because the headline from it really was that business about increasing dollar liquidity. What, what does that actually mean in simple terms? 
the words used are swap arrangements, and they're usually done with other central banks. A, a, a lot of uh, large corporations and many countries around the world have issued debt in U.S. dollars offshore. Uh, so, and that's only becoming more appealing now as U.S. interest rates are basically zero right out to pretty much 30 years on the yield curve. Of course, if there's a shortage of dollars overseas, or if the dollar rises in value dramatically, those debts can become harder to service or and or become more expensive, and that can put pressure on the financial systems of these countries around the world. The dollar remains the reserve currency of the world. You can use U.S. dollars anywhere in the world, and, it, and it's taken, and I think that hegemony isn't going to change any time soon. So a dollar squeeze has implications for uh, the, the wheels of commerce all over the world. And the dollar continues its weakness, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It took a one-day pause yesterday, but soon after the Fed, uh, that was the green light to rotate out of US dollars again. And I expect that to be a trend that will continue uh, over the next quarter. The main reason behind it is when you look at real yields, real interest rate yields in the United States, so that's uh, the headline yield subtracting inflation off it, then negative all the way up to the 30-year tenor. That makes it quite unappealing to hold US dollars and has encouraged that rotation into uh, the rest of the world. And that's why we are seeing the dollar uh, move lower. And, and that's something I expect to continue. Yesterday, we saw the bosses of the big US tech companies being grilled by, and I use that word advisedly because I'll come on to it, by the, by, um, by, by US Congress. Um, I do get the impression sometimes that when you watch these people being so-called grilled, that the people asking the questions have no real idea about what these companies actually do. And simply to say that they're too big invites the art I mean, if I were them I'd be saying well we're big because people actually quite like doing business with us we're a we're a domestic success story um what what, what do you feel that the is Congress just doing this because it's doing it if you see what I mean because it feels as though it has to because I, I can't see anything changing can you I don't see anything changing in the short term, but I, I think there are some valid stories behind this for example Amazon competing with its own vendors on its marketplace by bringing out generic products. Uh, these big tech companies buying up competition before it ever becomes big enough to be a competitor, these sorts of things. It's uh, the case of the scale is so large that uh, it, it squashes entrepreneurism because if you start a company and it's suddenly worth 50 or 100 million, uh, the uh, what big tech gets its ATM card out and buys you. You never get a chance to become a multi-billion dollar company. So in those in that respect, there is that. There's also advertising. I mean, advertising industry has been decimated around the world because so much of it now is funneled into uh, these big online uh, tech, uh, big tech providers, your Google, your Facebooks, etc., uh, etc. Et so there are some valid reasons, but I don't think we're near a sort of a, J, a, a Rockefeller-style standard oil in the early uh, 19th century where they actually broke up uh, that because it just became too big and his stated intention was to control everything. So I, I think it's a warning shot across the bowels to, to big tech. But then you have geopolitical uh, issues. It's like, do you want to squash big tech in the US and perhaps allow Chinese companies to ascend more because they don't operate under the same restrictions? The issue internationally all gets very, very complicated. Jeff Halley, thanks for taking us through it. Very good to speak to you again. Jeff Halley there, live from Singapore. This is the Business Breakfast with Oanda on Jazz FM. Online trading, currency data, money transfers.